0: by the Holy Spirit, like, you know, if the, if, the, if the menorah was lit up in our own temples, we're the temple, the Spirit, may, Lord, the uh, truth of who you are, you're so beautiful, just uh, be awakened afresh in all of our hearts. Help us see what ultimate reality is, as we're taking behind the scenes now uh, to the throne of God. Thank you for this Incredible opportunity, and I pray that we would be, yes, informed, but I just pray for all of us, and I pray for myself, transform us. Just as we were just singing, like, light that lamp. So, it's so revelational, uh, you know, in terms of the book of Revelation, light this lamp. Light the lamp of Rise Church, you know, in this area. And of course, all the churches, light us up uh, with love for you, and being in awe of you, holy fear. And uh, want to pray, Lord, uh, not only for anyone here tonight, but who will be listening to these messages in the future, who does not know you, may they come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone who agreed said, amen. Hey, guys, while you're standing, yeah, I know you've been standing for like an hour, right? But while you're standing, grab your Bibles, Revelation chapter 4. I just, well, just want to read a few verses before we have a seat, while we're standing, but if, you know, if you need to sit down, I understand. Revelation 4. Please look with me in verse 8. Now, we're going to go verse by verse tonight through Revelation 4. I have to say, Revelation 4 and 5, I would say, is some of the most important chapters in the Bible. So, uh, I'm really thrilled about it. Look, Verse 8, and we're going to explain this, but I just want to get this main idea here. It says, the four living creatures, these are angels, each having six wings, full of eyes. Eyes speak of knowledge, understanding within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, hey, let's read the next together. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Okay, now I'll continue to read verse nine. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before Him. And then they say, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things And by your will they exist and were created. Ah, love it. You may have a seat at this time. Hey, the title of the message is Seeing the Throne of God Makes All the Difference. Here we are in Revelation chapter four. And then we have some church members who are listening via online. We're so glad that you're with us. So let's get a little running start because we're going to go verse by verse through Revelation four. Yesterday, Stephanie and I were at the beach. How's that for a segue right there, right? We're at the beach. So out of the corner of my eye, I see something moving through the water. Now, you got to understand, it was totally like flat. I was like, it's the flattest I've seen the beach in a long time. Just a little lapping waves on the shore. So I just see this thing moving close to the shore. I wouldn't say it was more than 10 yards out. And... um it was a great white. No, just kidding. So anyways, I see it. Well, there was someone snorkeling, you know, and they were just cruising and they had, you know, fins. So they were moving at a fairly good pace. But, you know, they had a, you know, a scoop of mask on or whatever you call it. And they were just enjoying what they saw underneath the waves. And of course, we all know there's a whole world out there that we don't see. Now, later, I jumped in just for a few moments I was in that world, but I didn't see actually what was taking place in that world. I did not have a correct lens. I'm saying that because Revelation chapter 4 gives us a correct lens as to what ultimate reality is. Now John is being caught up into command central. We're talking about the throne of God, and he sees what's around the throne, the activity of the throne of God. This is ultimate reality. Please hear me. There's a whole other reality than we see with our naked eye. It's almost like we're on the beach, and then you have the ocean. It's like, well, if you're gonna see the life in the ocean, you need the correct lens, right? I mean, I think of, for example, when a a mother, you know, is bearing a child, you know, often the question is, well, when is the due date, right? Or when is the baby going to arrive? As if it's coming from Europe or something and it's gonna arrive. You know, that baby is right here with us, right? You just don't see the baby. The baby is a few inches away. They're growing, but we talk about this arrival. And I'm just saying all of have to give a sense to Revelation chapter four. And you have, check this out, these very unique, Creatures, creatures, they're not obviously eternal. They're created by God. We'll explain. You have 24 elders mentioned here. You have these unique four creatures that Ezekiel identifies clearly as angels. Watch this. They are immersed. They're immersed with the greatest reality of all, and then there's a true and living God. There's a sovereign over the entire universe, and they are, they are giving him glory. And you know why they are? because they know more than we know. They, they know more than we know. They have greater understanding than we have. It's like, why are they doing this? Because they have all the facts. If we ask, you know, what is keeping us from praising God right now? Seriously, like, man, I'm feeling great. I mean, I think God. God is true. And I thank God I'm in Christ. And he's working all things out for the good. And I got big blue skies ahead because I'm a son or a daughter of the king. You know, here's why we don't do that more or have that outlook is, is because we don't have the facts. We don't have the full facts. These, these creatures, these angelic beings of the 24 elders, interesting, we're gonna try to unpack who they are. I mean, it's like, I don't know anybody who can say emphatically who they are, but we're gonna look at some of the unique description they're just immersed. They're giving glory to God. It's like they know who He is. They're not stressed. And here's the reality. The reality is, is that all of us in Christ have relationship with God. He's working it all out for the good in our life. The best days are ahead. He wants us to see that now. now it's like, that's why Paul says, rejoice in Lord. And again, I say, rejoice You know, faith, what is faith? Faith has an object. The object is Almighty God who knows all things. So that's like, I don't know all things. I don't have full disclosure, but he knows all things. And by the way, what he's revealed to us, he said we're called, justified, and glorified. So it's like, look, if if we saw what ultimate reality is, is that we have a sovereign and that sovereign is our king and we are citizens of that kingdom and he's working all things out for the good. Let that sink in. Think about it. This was written so that the church would read this and see like what is true. In fact, this description in in chapter four is the most detailed description of the throne of God, ultimate reality that is in the Bible itself. So just think of the church going back to chapter 2 where you have Ephesus who left their first love. They need to see this. Then Smyrna, hey, on the eve of actually being persecuted and put to death, they need to see this. They need to see that around the throne there's worship taking place. You know, we sang holy, you know, and what was the way we kind of, well, it means indescribable. You know, there was a phrase though that we use. You remember that song? Not to put you on the spot. What was it? There is no one like you. Thank you so much. Perfect. That's a great way of saying it. There is no one like you. I mean, we can't even wrap our minds around the goodness of God, right? Then you have Pergamus, who's a compromised church. They need to see the truth of who God is. He is holy, holy, holy. Thyatira, idolatrous church, allowing sexual immorality. The Jezebel, we talked about her last week. They need to see the throne. Then you have Sardis, who like, has a name that they're alive, but they're dead. They need to see see what ultimate reality is. Philadelphia, open door to bring the gospel to the world. They need to see ultimate reality. Laodicea, the lukewarm church. They need to see this chapter. We all need to do so. And uh, Jesus said that the Father is seeking worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truth. So it's like we get a behind-the-scenes picture. Um, I'm excited about tonight. I can't wait for tomorrow because you're going to see Jesus front and center. In fact, we're going to read in just a little bit. The first voice that John hears is the voice of Jesus. Okay, but let's let's unpack this. Look at verse one with me. So he says, after these things, like what is the these he's referring to? Well. He's referring to the vision John had of Jesus in chapter 1, and then he's also referring, in the most immediate context, to the message to the churches in chapter 2 and 3. And up to this point, John, who's kind of like this heavenly reporter, he's done a fantastic job writing down what he has seen, because he saw Jesus glorified the Son of Man, chapter 1, remember that, and then He's given these messages and he's pinning them chapter 2 and 3. So now, when you move into chapter 4, and we're going to look at all of it, now you have John tasked with identifying heavenly realities, future realities. Now begins like identifying as best he can in 1st century terminology, what are heavenly, divine realities that you can't, like, completely comprehend. You can just do your best to actually describe it. And you're going to see in just a little bit, he uses the term like, like, seven times there. It's like this, or it's like that. Like, like for example, you know, we all know what this is. Um, this is a smartphone. But if I was using, um, you know, if I was trying to describe this to John, so I'm in the 21st century, and I was trying to describe for John what this is, I mean, how would I do it? To to even terminology that he would understand, I mean, I just, I mean, I I just might say, you know, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, about it, you know, John, you know, um, in the future there's going to be like this really tiny scroll. You know, it's like a little Torah scroll, but it's gonna have all the information of the world in it, okay? But it's gonna fit in your hand. Torah scroll in your hand, all the information of the world. Okay, how about that? That's pretty good, right? There you guys are so Torah scroll, he would get that information. They had libraries and things. But you know, like 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 seven times. Remember when Paul was caught up in paradise? He heard inexpressible words which is not lawful for a man to utter. It's like, so heavenly reality is difficult to communicate. How do you communicate the beauty of a sunset? It's difficult. How do you communicate the beauty of a song that moves you? You know, you can say, hey, listen, listen to this beat. I'm going to try to emulate it. And it's like, you know, we pull it down. It's very difficult. Of course, what we do when things move us is we use metaphor illustration, symbols are very, very important. I don't want to embarrass my baby girl here. She's here, but I mean, since she was a little baby, I mean, she communicated in metaphors. I mean, I asked her when she was like four or five, I don't know what led to this question, but I said, well, what are girls like? And she said, girls are like a glass vase that go, that, and I said, well, what are boys like? She said, dirt. I mean, so it's like, it's like, Girls, I don't know, I'm expecting, you know, like, you know, tender or sensitive and, you know, like glass vase. And uh, she's the one that said it's much easier being a boy than a girl, too. She said, because being a girl, you got to worry about getting pregnant and getting your ears pierced, right? So, anyways, I love that line. Um, But, you know, if you use pictures, pictures paint, you know, graphics that can move us. There's a lot of symbolism in an imagery in the book of Revelation, and generally it has a biblical present. It's already been addressed in some form, and John is building on. Okay, so look at verse one. He says, look, after these things, a door, a door standing uh, open in heaven. A door? I mean, a door identifies specific boundaries, right? Parameters in space. So the fact that, like, it, you know, there's a door. There's a door in here. The door says that you're either in or out. And if you're in, you're coming in to something uh, purposeful or some, some space for some purpose. So it's like if you're in the home, like you step in the door, you know, you're a friend, you're a family member. If uh, you step through the door of a concert, now you're able to experience the music, you know. Um, the door out of enslavement in Egypt. Now you're stepping into a whole world of living potential and your, your, your you know, freedom that God had purposed for your lives. And I'm thinking of when we are in Israel, one of, my, one of the most profound experiences I've had in Israel, to be frank with you, it just was so awe-inspiring, was at the base uh, of uh, the, the David city and from the Pool of Siloam, and not to get in the weeds of this, but long story short, when pilgrims would come to Israel, and Jerusalem in particular, they'd go to the Pool of Siloam, they'd be ceremonially cleansed, and there'd be, there's running water, and then they make a trek about a quarter of a mile uphill to the temple. So it's called the Pilgrim's Road today. So it's like, there's no doubt you've had millions of people, Jesus, the apostles, every Mary... We're down in the Pool of Siloam, and it's just like we have an exit out of you're going to take one of the doors. Well, the steps, by the way, were funded by Pilate. The steps making their way up to the Temple Mount, um, the width of them is, is not, I would say it's probably the width from the back here to, you know, the width of our, uh, not the length, but the width of the sanctuary. So it's, it's not a door, but it's an entryway. And I and I and standing there, you're just thinking, oh my goodness, you have had people who came from a thousand miles away. You know, you had people coming from Iran and Rome during the holy days to worship the Lord. They were to come down to the pool of Salaam, and then they're gonna like make their way through this passage. It's like so a door or an entryway speaks of a specific, you know, space. You're either in or you're out. Years ago, Time magazine ran a cover story entitled, Does Heaven Exist? And they said it used to be that the hereafter was virtually palpable, but American religion now seems almost allergic to imagining it. Is paradise lost? It, heaven, is an end to death's sting? It is the eternal, ongoing, ever growing experience of God. It is the ecstatic dream of St. John. Holy, 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 we're reading here. And yet in a curious way, heaven is AWOL. This is not to say that Americans think death ends everything or even that they doubt heaven's existence. People still believe in it. It's just that their concept of exactly what it is has grown foggier and they hear about it. It's much less frequently from their pastors. The silence is such that it sometimes seems heaven might as well be there. That silence is such that it sometimes seems heaven might not as well be there. Well, the good news is, heaven is still there. And if you ask what heaven is, heaven is where the glory of God is on full display. Heaven has more to do with the person, actually, than it does the location. It has to do with God's glory is on full display and we're all wired for heaven. Heaven speaks of permanence and eternality. The Bible says that heaven or eternality, you know, what is eternal is in our hearts. C.S. Lewis said, all the things that ever deeply possessed your soul have been but hints of heaven, tantalizing glimpses, Promises never quite fulfilled. Echoes that died away just as they caught your ear. If I find in myself, he said, a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy, but to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. And that real thing, we're going to be, Learning about this has more to do with a person, where we are in the presence of Almighty God Himself. You know, there's a saying that all roads lead to God, uh, and you know, you got to hear me now. In one sense, that's true. In other words, every human being is going to stand before God one day. It's the Bible says it's appointed once for a man to die. Then that then there would be judgment. So all roads, no matter what a person believes, what they do, all roads lead to God. Only one door leads in to right relationship with God forever and ever. So, like, this door is opening, beautiful picture. And he says, And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me. Like a trumpet. You know, if you go back real quick to Revelation chapter 1, just to remind you in verse 10 that, you know, this is Jesus speaking. He says in verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. And, of course, the Lord says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it. To the seven churches and so forth. So, again, you got to like here, like a trumpet. We've been blowing trumpets, and Bruce is back there. Bro, you, are you, Bruce, are you ready to blow? No, just kidding. Uh, no, he didn't bring a shofar. But it's like, hey, a trumpet has presence to it, right? I mean, this, he's speaking of this incredible presence. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. You know, think about it. Hearing the word of God, if we really hear it, it should lead us to see the throne of God, meaning that really hearing God's word should bring the Lord front and center to our lives. So he hears this voice like a trumpet. It speaks of authority. Um, Of course, in Jewish history, the trumpet would be blown for a lot of reasons. Gather a congregation, even uh, a group for battle. But in this case, look at verse one. The voice is Jesus speaking, and he says, come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. This is the Lord speaking. Okay, come up here, John. He's speaking to John, right? And I'll show you things that must take place after this. Many Bible students see a few realities taking place here. I mean, the obvious is, is that you know, he's speaking to John, come up here. I'm going to take you behind the scenes to command central like the throne of God. But others see that John is a type of the church here. He's a type of the church. So some see when they read this, it's like, oh, well, that kind of, I mean, you know, come up here, you know, you have a voice like a trumpet. Well, hey, listen, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you know, speaks of the Lord coming, which is commonly known as the rapture. So it's like he comes, and he brings those who are with him. And when he comes, the dead in Christ, their bodies actually are resurrected, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, our bodies, caught up, transformed, like in a twinkling of an eye. And we have this reunion with brothers and sisters and all the saints throughout history in preparation for the return and reign of Jesus on planet Earth. So some see, like, John here is a type of the church so they would say okay well like this was a picture it's not explicit possibly implicit of the rapture of the church it's it, it's it's like and some see it and, and I can understand why that's not an explicit teaching that's maybe implicit are you guys with me on there it's not so in other words like you're reading this it, it it's like the Lord you know, you don't see John saying, look, I'm, I'm embodying the church age, and the church age is after these things, the church age, and now you have the church caught up. It's not explicitly teaching rapture, perhaps implicitly. And those who would believe that the rapture takes place pre-trib would actually see pre-trib dynamics here, okay? For other reasons, too, that you don't have mention of the church after chapters two and three. But on the other hand, Church means ecclesia, assembly. You have mention of saints during the tribulation period. You got a, a, like a billion saints, you know, in the chapter. We'll read it just a little bit. Like a bunch of followers of Jesus during this time. Look, I'm mentioning this because for a couple of reasons. One is, um, look, let there be no mistaking on something. And that is, there is a rapture. Can I hear a big amen to that? There's no doubt about it. In the church, there's an intramural debate when it takes place. What I'm saying is, for those who are pre-trib, that the rapture would take place seven years prior to the second coming, they they would look here and they would say uh, that, look, John is a type of the church here, so I just want to mention this. I'll tell you what is explicit. And that is that we are transitioning to the third section of the book. So I want to remind you of this. Go back to chapter one. Good job, guys. And go back to chapter one. Look at verse 19. Jesus gives, he gives the outline to this book. And he's speaking to John in verse 19. Write the things which you have seen. Well, that's chapter one. Write the things which are, well, I mean, those are the, you know, seven messages, seven churches in chapter two and three. And the things which will take place after, what's the next word, you guys? This, right? Okay, now, go back to chapter four, right? We're studying chapter four. In verse one again, after these things I looked. And behold, a door standing open in heaven. I love that. You know, if you go back to the church in Laodicea, Jesus is knocking on the door of the church, trying to get in. John now has a door open, and the door speaks, you're either in or out. It's true. There's like no mention, good old Pete's there at the pearly gates, right? But uh, you have a door open, and thank God, Jesus is the door. And if you have the Lord Jesus, the door opens into God's presence. That is an absolute guarantee, right? And in verse 2, he says, Immediately, I was in the spirit. In the spirit. Not speaking in tongues, that's what he's talking about. I believe in the gift of tongues. I don't believe everyone has the gift of tongues, but that's not the spirit that he's referring to here. He's literally caught up, like to see ultimate reality gifted by God. And what comes front and center? A throne. A throne. I don't know if you write in your Bible or you underline, but I would suggest underlining throne there. Because a throne speaks of influence. A throne speaks of a king, a monarch. When Jesus ascended to heaven, you know, 40 days after the resurrection, it was a demonstration that he's at the right hand. At the right hand. So there's a throne. There's a monarch. This is not a democracy. I mean, there there is a king of the universe Followers of Jesus, we are monarchists in the sense that we believe in the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings. Can I hear a big amen to that? So I said, here's what ultimate reality is. Oh man, there's a creator who is eternal. Throne speaks of influence. Throne speaks of power, okay? Look, today, today you see this radical tension that I believe is only intensifying. It's always been around, but we live in a global community in the sense we're more interdependent than each other. I thank God for nations. I believe nations are biblical, so I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, yahoo about global communities or empires at all. But I'm just simply saying we're more interdependent than ever before. And, and, and I'm just convinced COVID has brought front and center ideas man, matter, and legislation matters. But what's happening is is that you see tensions rising between two worldviews, if you really want to boil it down. It's between supernaturalism and naturalism. You say supernatural, It's mean, yeah. simply that there's, there's a transcendent one, there's an the eternal one, it's in the beginning God was, you know, created us, versus, you know, materialism, which is kind of Buddhist, in the beginning silence, pure matter, we came from nothing, we are nothing, we're headed nowhere. And, uh, you know, we talk about it all the time. I'm, I'm absolutely convinced. You look at Israel, it, it is, there's a growing tension between conservatives and extreme liberals, let's just say. And I'm talking about people who, you know, Yuval Harari would say, hey, BB's guys, you know, and the Knesset and stuff, they're messianics, he says. Messianics? You know, Samuel Smudge's dad You know, he's the one that term messianic, speaking of Jewish followers of Jesus. So he used this term messianic. We've talked about this before. Oh, these people that believe there's a God. These people that believe that Jerusalem has some type of, you know, divine history to it, a divine future. You know, no, we are, I'm a materialist, pure biology, chemistry. We got technology. Let's marry technology to biology. We're God's. We're we're, we're gods. We're going to chart our own future. It's like, so there's no absolutes. There's no authoritative meaning to life. It's what we make it up. It's like marriage. Marriage is a cultural construct, which simply means made up by culture. It's like male, female, thousand genders and stuff. Are you guys with me? Isn't this exciting to talk about? Anyways, so the point is, you see increasing tension. Here's what we see behind the scenes that just brings what reality is. There's an eternal one who's on the throne. There's there's a creator, no doubt about it, right? I mean, today, like increasingly so, the academic fashion is to believe in nothing. So it's to empty your thinking. We talked about this in our study in John. Empty your thinking. Empty any construct, any patterns of thinking. In fact, Canada just passed a law moving in the direction... To rid all books that were written before 2008, right? Now it's a whole. Listen, you got to keep reading. It's like, no, we're going to keep some things. But if it does, if it's not woke, if it's not woke, you're going to get rid. They're going to get rid of it. I mean, th- I just read an article about this. You know, if it, see if this materializes, right? So, anyways, the point is, is. That look, a throne comes front and center. Love it, as in the spirit. Behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Okay, and and there was there was like a jasper and sardius stone in appearance. Jasper is like a diamond. Sardius is is kind of red and ruby in appearance. Notice. The one who sits on the throne, there's no description of form here. Okay, there's none like okay, well, like it, you know, the one sitting on the void kind of has, you know, is, is, is round in face or eyes. No, no description of form whatsoever. What you have is description of what is being emanated from the throne. Okay, Revelation twenty-one eleven says, as her light was like a stone most precious even like a jasper stone clear as crystal reminds you of the diamond so you have this beautiful emanation like a diamond coming from the throne god is light in him there's no darkness sardius as i mentioned is kind of blood red ruby but john is likening the appearance of the almighty to these stones you know Look, here's the thing. John pinning this, he's familiar with, you know, the, 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 the colors of these stones. Significant because there were 12 stones uh, that was, was on the high priest in Israel, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. The first stone was Sardius, which represented Reuben. Reuben means... Behold a son. The last stone was the jasper stone and represented Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. So you have these two stones. If you interpret it in light of like the the 12 stones wore by the high priest, right? It's like, Behold a son of my right hand. Interesting. Verse 3 says, And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. A rainbow is a reminder of God's commitment to his covenant that he will not destroy the world with a flood. So you have this beautiful picture around the throne that God keeps his promises. Oh, I told this story before. I'm so sorry. I'm going to repeat a story about my granddaughter, okay? Because I love this one story. But she did recently say to me, she's four, you know, she said, Papa, you, you know, you, you're going to take me to Israel. I said, I'm going to take you to Israel. i take you to Israel. She said, Papa, you need to keep your promises. <laughs> you know, I just love that. Did I already tell you that one? I already told you that one, right? Okay, so sorry, guys. Um, but... I mean, you got, you got this rainbow Rather, The good news is, our Heavenly Father keeps His promises. Can I hear an amen to that? That's the point I want to make. And He's given us, listen to me, He has given us a guarantee He does. A tangible guarantee. It's the Holy Spirit in us. You know, Paul writing in Ephesians likens the Holy Spirit to like an engagement ring. So if you propose to your bride... And in Jewish culture, you're going to give her a gift. And there's going to be a communal cup of like covenant. You're going to enter into this covenant with her in holy matrimony. But You're going to give her a gift. You're going to give her a guarantee that you're going to show up. And you're going to say to her, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and receive you to myself. That's John 14. I mean, you know, in terms of if if I could just say, and I don't want to get I don't want to get a debate on this, because we got a lot more to get through in Revelation, but you know, when I think pre-trib rapture, when I think, for me personally, I think John 14. I love it. That's the, that's the language of a fiance to a fiance in Jewish culture. I go to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come back. I'm going to receive you to myself. And I'm going to take you to my father's house once we're married. And we're going to spend seven days, well, like the seven years of the tribulation, seven days celebrating this beautiful union. So anyways, exciting, interesting things. Just know, guys, that you know you have around the throne this rainbow. God keeps his promises. I love it. And you have a guarantee In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Yeah, the Holy Spirit indwelling us gives us assurance we're king's kids. We know that we know that we know. His Spirit bears witness with our spirit. We are children of God. Look at verse 4. Around the throne, 24 thrones. On the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. I mean, a million-dollar question is, I mean, who are these unique elders. First of all, an elder biblically is one who's mature in the faith. So they not only have knowledge of the truth, they worship God, you know, they influence in the, in the name of the Lord God of Israel. and Of course, if was a follower of Jesus, in Jesus' name, we need elders. We need elders in the church, mature men who love the Lord, love his word, able to teach, you know, seasoned men I think, make distinction between the essentials and the non-essentials, I mean, proven followers of Jesus. So it's a beautiful picture. Elders a beautiful picture. But the question is, like, who are these elders? Um, here's the thing they 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 fit descriptions, the interestingly, of promises given to believers because revelation three twenty one mentions, that there's a promise given to believers to to sit on the throne, which almost a co-heir with the Lord. In Revelation 3.5, it mentions believers clothed in white robes. In Revelation 2.10, it mentions crowns promised to believers. Um, if, If you look over to chapter 5, just jump on over there real quick, beginning in verse 8. You, you have these elders who are singing a redemptive, redemptive song, a redemption song. And when he had taken the scroll and four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals. You were slain. You have redeemed us. To God, by your blood, out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Now, hey, listen—you um, know what a beautiful song that is—and we're going to look at this in, in depth next week. I, I just absolutely love it. Um, you know, we're talking about the who are these elders? Um, the description of them, they're on thrones, clothed in white, singing redemption song. I, I think it, if you jump to Revelation 7, zip on over there real quick, you guys. Um, they, they, they also get it. They, they understand God's unfolding plan. And, you know, we're getting it. This is why we're studying Revelation. We study the Bible. We want we to understand God's unfolding plan. Um. If you note here in verse nine of chapter seven, it says, "After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all the nations, tribes, peoples, tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hand." I can't wait to get into this deeper. Palm branches, by the way, would speak of this very time that we're in, which is Tabernacles. So, in other words, like you wave. Palm branches, remember they're waving palm branches, Jesus coming into Jerusalem. They're thinking kingdom, like he's gonna establish this kingdom. Tabernacles, this time period. How many of you are with us Sunday morning? Could you raise your hand real quick? I know it's been, people have been sick. God bless you. But, you know, this is a seven-day period. This is, we're in tabernacles. This is the seventh of the festivals in Leviticus 23 that speak of God dwelling ultimately, on planet Earth, impacting the entire world. It's like God comes down tabernacles with men. Just, it's just like a little code for them to wave palm branches. They, you know, who these, these are our brothers and sisters, you know, they, they are believing rain. They believe in the hope of Jesus. They cried out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Lamb is mentioned 24 times referring to Jesus in Revelation. I mean, there's a good reason for it. The angels stood around the throne. The elders, four living creatures, fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might. Be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Watch this. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes? And where did they come from? And I said to him, this is John speaking, sir, you know. So he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, wash the robes, made them white in the blood of the lamb, and therefore they are before the throne of God, serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore, nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them, lead them to living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Boy, there's a lot there. Can't wait to get to it. Why why did we turn there? Because we're just trying to figure out, who are these elders? And that's the million dollar question. Who are they? Do they represent, you know, leaders and elders among the twelve tribes of Israel? Like you know, in history, when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, uh, Moses instructed that men, you know, to, from each tribe, lead a, an effort to, to spy out the, the, the land. Did they come back and report? Joshua was a part of it. Caleb was a part of it. Hey, those, yeah, Caleb. Those guys were like studs, right? Or Joshua and Caleb were. They, they ended up entering into the promised land. So, I mean, it could be that these individuals are leaders among the 12 tribes. And then some say that, look, you're talking about the 12 apostles as well. So you have, you know, you have this completed picture of the unfolding plan of God uh, in in Israel and the Messiah of Israel. Um, Well, I'll tell you what, we're uh, going to have more chances to raise the question who they are. I think think that's probably enough for now. But look at verse five. Uh, Now we're back in in Revelation four. Look at verse five. From the throne proceeds lightnings and thunders and voices. Um, A lot of activity around the throne. Reminds us of Mount Sinai, by the way. It's like when the Lord gave the law on Sinai, it says on the morning of the third day, there were thunders, lightnings, thick cloud on the mountain, Very loud trumpet blast. So all the people in the camp trembled. Lot of activity. Lot of activity. A lot of holiness. Power coming forth from the throne. Love it. Verse 5. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Seven Spirits of God? Well, the Bible's its best commentary, Isaiah eleven two 2, identifies a sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit. You know we, know, we know God is triune in nature, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the Bible identifies a sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit, influence of the Spirit. You know, I, I have the menorah up here again. I, I, love, the, I love the menorah, but... I mean, this is a lampstand in the temple, gave light to the priest to be able to serve. I believe it's a picture of the churches in Revelation. And then you have like, this picture of the Holy Spirit. I believe coming forth from the throne, seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Zechariah 4, 1 through 10 underscores seven lamps, a menorah with the fullness of the work, of the Holy Spirit. One commentator said this, the lamps of fire are important because the Holy Spirit is not ordinarily visible. To be made visible, he represents himself in a physical form like a dove or a tongue of fire. Verse six, before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. Sea of glass. You know, perhaps the idea that God sees everything, Picture of water before the throne, reminiscent of the laver in the tabernacle, the washing of the water of the word. In verse 6, and in the midst of the throne, around the throne, were four living creatures. All right, you read this, you think, whoa, you got full of eyes, full of eyes in front and back. I mean, these four living creatures are mentioned 10 times in the book of. Of Revelation. Ezekiel 10:20 calls them cherubim. They're angels. And they have access to the throne. Look, here's how I look at this personally: I look at this as these are unique creatures who have unique knowledge. I mean, the idea that, you know, I don't have eyes in the back of my head, right? Neither do you. So we have limitation. But these creatures have unique knowledge. One said, These beings of incredible intelligence and understanding live their existence to worship God. All failure to truly worship is rooted in a lack of seeing and understanding. It's it's to the point we made earlier. The, the, The reason why these angelic figures are like worshiping the Lord, giving honor to him, is because they have greater understanding than we do. And therefore, they're giving honor to where honor is due. Can I hear a big amen to that? The, the, seriously, the, the reason why, you know, we can get bummed, and then we can really get bummed for lots of reasons, but, but, but largely is because we're limited. And, and that's, that's why the righteous shall live by faith. I mean, and, and, and faith is so reasonable to our ability to reason because... I don't have eyes in the back of my head. I know I'm limited. I know I have blind spots. You know, we all know that. But God doesn't. So if he said it and he promises and he gives us perspective on something, he knows. He knows everything. He's all-knowing. He's omnipotent. I love it. And it says in verse 7, the first living creature was like a lion. Second, like a lion a calf, like, 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 right? The third living creature, like a face of a man. The fourth living creature, like a flying eagle. Look, look up here for a second. I'm going to show you something. If we go back in the, the wilderness, um, so in other words, the children of Israel, this is what tabernacles are celebrating in transition from Egypt to the Promised Land. Around the tabernacle were four tribes, Judah, Ephraim, Reuben, and Dan. And interestingly, like, so in other words, they were the closest to the tabernacle in the wilderness. You guys tracking with me? But you got 12 tribes, right? But they're the closest around the tabernacle. And interestingly, Judah's likened to, li- to a lion. Ephraim likened to an ox. Reuben likened to a man. Dan likened to eagle. To an eagle. And I'm going to give you a pop quiz on that right now. No, just kidding. It says, no, hey, in a lot of ways, like how I... See, Revelation, is that you have this cumulative communication of God in history being brought to us in a chronological manner that speaks of God's continued unfolding plan. Beautiful. Verse 8, The four living creatures, each having six wings full of eyes around and within, they don't rest day or night. They are crying holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. In in Hebrew to repeat something 3 times is just to like double underscore it. It it it's it's like a it's a threepeat obviously. And when someone is writing or speaking, they want to emphasize something, he or she will repeat the word. So it's like, holy, holy, I mean, just holy, holy, holy. Remember, like, you know, Paul was like, he had a thorn in his flesh, and he he prayed three times for its removal. Um, I mean, you could interpret that by saying, I I like, I I prayed about this so many times, it was more than three times. But it's just a three-peat, I'm just saying, I like a lot, I mean, I, 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 I I, I prayed a lot about it. I mean, he could have done it three times, but I'm just saying in Scripture, when you repeat something, you're just doubling down on it. I mean, Isaiah 26.3, he who keeps you in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, literally, it is he who keeps you in peace, peace. He who keeps you peace now, peace for eternity. The angels angels are saying that God is not just holy, but he's holy, holy, holy. Alec Montnier defines holiness as God's total and unique moral majesty. It includes all of his attributes. Um, he is separate from creation. He's perfectly morally majestic. He's all powerful. He's all good. He is all of those things. Roger Scruton, a well-known British philosopher, said, hey, if you want to know what a people really believe about God don't spend time re- reading their theologians. Watch them worship. Listen to what they sing. Listen to what they say. Listen to how they pray. Then you will know what they believe about this God whom they worship. Well, those closest to ultimate reality, which is Lord himself, they're like, holy, holy, holy. It's like your indescribable one, the one who is what it was and is and is to come, like the eternal one, what it was, is, is to come. Unfolding plan, eternity past, eternity future. So beautiful. And it says, the Lord God Almighty, it means the one who has his hands on all things, right? Who was and is and is to come. Yahweh, Jesus is the eternal one. And look at verse 9. We're almost done. Whenever, Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their, what's the next word, you guys? Crowns before the throne. Someone reading this in the first century would understand some Roman dynamics behind this, and that is that when there were kings throughout the empire, that obviously is not the emperor of Rome, would be before the emperor, they would take off their crown and throw it at his feet. In this case, these crowns are not royal crowns, it's the Stephanos, my beautiful wife's name which means crown. It's a crown given to the victor. Don't you want to win crowns that you can use for the praise of God? In other words, like, here's the thing. <laughs> the Lord has given us, given us life, and we have one chance to stand against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And fight to be faithful. And fight to honor the Lord. What a great motivation to pursue greater holiness and greater Christ-likeness that when the next time we face some temptation to sin, we refuse it. We refuse it and we gain a trophy for, for it that ultimately we can throw at the feet of our precious king. Can I hear a big amen to that? You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Oh, so God made me, and the purpose of my life is to live to his glory. Let's all stand at this time. Lord, you're, you're awesome. Oh, so, so many details there. But, but Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit, I pray the Holy Spirit, help me help all my brothers and sisters. May the truth that you are the sovereign one in control, conquered death. We, we you know, Lord, you know our frame. Um, operating with limited understanding, yet by faith, And by your word, like, we see what is true. And I I pray that, Lord, there would be an upward trajectory of praise, like rejoicing the Lord. Like, and again, I say rejoice. Like, we would join those who do have greater understanding, and that's why they're praising you. And not stress, but just, and that's why they're throwing their crowns at your feet. And I pray, help me, help all of us, next temptation, next crossroad, next challenge. Um, Lord, I, I, I pray we would live holy lives, courageous lives, lives that glorify you, as, as you have given us opportunity to actually receive that Stephanos crown, that, that victor's crown. And uh, it would be, honor to, it'd be such an honor to receive it and uh, any type of trophy we might then throw at your feet. So help us with this. We want to live to your glory. That's why you made us and created us. And thank you as we do. We're more full and free. And I mean, just thank you. When we're rightly aligned with you, um, there is abundance and a whole lot more. Thank you, Lord, for the most beautiful church family. And and like we were singing earlier, just lastly, I just want to say, just pray in this season, this fall season, that we would be a bright menorah. Our candlestick would burn bright. Help me, help all of us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone who agreed said, Amen. Amen, Amen.